All right. Well, Holly, you want to launch us and uh, I can, if you want me to talk about my friend, Dave Stevens, or you can talk about him, whatever you want. I, to yeah. So I'll welcome everyone to our Ignite podcast for the month of December. I'm Holly Matson, work in the wholesale department um, here at Fairway. And we are extremely excited that you joined us. It's been a, it's been an interesting year period. It's been an interesting year for Fairway, as many of you know. Um, so we're grateful to have Dave on with us. And before you introduce him, would like to um, turn it over to Al Heklinski, our Senior Vice President of Wholesale. Thanks, Holly. And uh, just to echo everything you just said, it's been an unbelievable year. Um, you know, after 2020, you kind of look back 12 months ago, 2020 was an anomaly, uh, a real gift to the mortgage industry. Um, and then we rolled into 2021 and for most every one of our broker partners and talking with you over the last couple months, couple weeks, couple months, it's been a better year. 2021 was a better year for you. Um, and so, you know, as, as Holly said, a real treat to, to be doing these podcasts and bringing on some real special guests. Uh, when I look back over the last three, four months, um, trying to turn the corner into 2022, you know, for us, it's all about arming our broker network with knowledge with insight, um, with with you know some some specifics of how you can turn the corner into 2022 and and make it another great year. Um, business will be different, the cycle will be different, but the opportunities you know are plentiful out there. And so uh, you know, again, I've uh, people within the Fairway Network have heard uh, Dave Stevens. What a what an amazing uh, individual. I call him, you know, just like I would refer to Scott Fletcher, who we had on a couple podcasts, a mortgage encyclopedia, um, really in the know. Uh, and so excited about, you know, what you guys will hear. Uh, hopefully it helps you prepare yourself for this, this turn, you know, in a couple of weeks. Uh, with that, Sarah, I'll let you uh, formally introduce our special, special guest, but uh, Dave, th th thanks for being on with us today. Uh, and uh, again, hopefully our, our broker network, um, picks a couple of nuggets out of, of what's going to be communicated to them here. Yeah, that's, Al, that's so great. So I, I just want to introduce you guys. Uh, first off, I'm Sarah Middleton. I am our president of sales and also our CEO of Ignite. And uh, first off, just incredibly grateful that you're all on here. And uh, as a big thank you as our broker partners, because we don't do any of this, none of it without you guys. Um, so thank you. Thank you from all of us at Fairway. And, and we know how hard you work and we want to just continue to bring uh, better and better service levels and products and expansion and also continue to, to make sure that you're educated with all the tools that we have at Fairway. Uh, one of our secret weapons is on with us today. So I always think about Dave, like, Let's say I just took up tennis. I know nothing about it. <clears throat> I walk out on the tennis court and there's Novak Djokovic. That's what we have today with, with Dave. I've known Dave since 1989 and he's really, he's, he's the who's who in our industry. I know he's blushing. You can see his face starting to turn red, uh, but you're, you're in uh, just a to hear, like Al said, he is the walking encyclopedia. Dave, would you give him a little bit of your background? Because I could go on and on about you, but um, <laughs> it is like having no Novak Djokovic teaching us how to play tennis. Sure. You want me just to kick off and, and take it from here with a little background? In the, yeah. Beginning? Would you yeah. tell him tell all the sure. history so they, they understand from where you come? 
Well, good to be with everybody, with you, uh, with everybody here. And uh, always uh, love helping out Fairway because I think they're one of the great uh, lending companies in the nation, both in retail and wholesale and just a really good culture. Um, yeah, so I started as a loan rep gang. I was a, a loan originator in Denver, Colorado, which is uh, where Sarah was as well. And um, uh, early 1980s, moved up through branches and regions and all that kind of stuff. I ended up getting recruited to a little company in Washington, D.C. area called Freddie Mac, uh, which I came into head sales. And within about a year, I was promoted to head the single family business at Freddie, um, which is a great learning experience, by the way. Uh, from primary to secondary markets. And that was a, a, a complete change. Um, from Freddie Mac, I was recruited by my uh, biggest customer, Wells Fargo, and I became the executive vice president in charge of wholesale. Uh, we did about $30 billion a year in wholesale lending at the time, and I took that over. Um, uh, love the wholesale business, love working with mortgage brokers, um, and for a whole variety of reasons, but most of which just the dynamic uh, attitude that brokers have and the independence uh, and their ability to represent multiple product lines uh, when they're offering programs um, and opportunities to their clients. So uh, I especially like being with this audience today. Um, I was at Wells uh, for a while and then a large real estate company called Long & Foster. If you're in the Mid-Atlantic region, you know who they are, but they're the largest privately held real estate company, recruited me to be their president and chief operating officer um, I actually started running the mortgage businesses and other things, but then took over the whole real estate company. Um, when President Obama got elected in 09, we were in the middle of this massive housing crisis. I got tapped by the president to come join the new administration to help with the housing crisis. And I left Long and Foster and became uh, the federal housing commissioner and assistant secretary of housing and worked on the president's housing team. Uh, meeting with him about, you know, once every two or three weeks and working on stuff to get this economy back on track with a whole bunch of other people. Um, and then I left and ran the Mortgage Bankers Association. So that's kind of my track record from loan officer to somehow ending up inside the beltway of D.C. Uh, and my time in the uh, Obama administration and running the Mortgage Bankers Association put me in front of Congress umpteen times testifying and working on legislation and all that kind of stuff. So seeing it from all sides. Um, and that's really what I want to bring to you guys today. I want to bring you a view of the market. Um, I'm going to share this presentation afterwards with Holly and Sarah, et cetera, and Al, um, uh, and I'll send it to them so you guys can get it later. So don't feel a need to snap screenshots or any of that stuff. I'm also going to go pretty fast. Um, and then if there are any questions, I'm glad to answer them uh, after the fact. But at this point, let me just share my screen. Um, and I'll start the broadcast. By the way, I want to apologize for the sound. This is coincidentally the day my landscapers decided to do all my leaves. So that's if there's any noise in the background, that's what you're hearing. Um, so here we are, gang. Um, I Ever since leaving, leaving the Mortgage Bankers Association, I, I established a little consulting firm called Mountain Lake Consulting. Fairway is one of my clients. Uh, and I have a variety of clients, mostly independent mortgage bankers or uh, companies that s serve this space. Um, but today I want to talk to you about the market and have you think about the market moving forward because there's a lot of a, a lot of activity going on. And when you see, you know, the kind of noise that was in the marketplace because of a CEO deciding to do a Zoom call and, and terminate 9% of his employee, of his employees on the phone, um, 
uh, on the Zoom call in an awkward fashion, you know, it begins to bubble up the question, like, what's happening here? Uh, is the market going to correct? And so I want to talk about a variety of things, all based on data. And everything I show you is going to be independent, third-party data from different sources. Some of it's going to be redundant because I want you to see it in multiple different ways just to know that, you know, this is being repeated by everybody. Uh, it's not just one person's view. And it starts off by saying, look, this is, let's talk about the housing crash not yet to come. Um, and all the data I'm going to show you is going to be uh, really focused on that one point. In fact, I'm going to tell you guys right now, you're on the forefront of the biggest purchase boom uh, that this nation has ever seen. The biggest purchase boom that this nation has ever seen that's going to last for the next several years, close to a decade. And the only thing that will match it is when the baby boomers started buying back in the 1980s. We haven't seen a market this big for purchases uh, really since. Um, and we can talk in more detail about that if there are questions or comments. But data will drive that conversation. And I'll walk you through that today. I want to talk about the pro, a little bit about the profile of the home buyer today and what makes them different. Um, I want to give you some views, what economists think about the market ahead. Um, and look, we all know that there are risks in markets. Uh, Omicron uh, is the latest risk. And whatever Greek alphabet letter they come up with next for the next strain will be what kind of freaks out the market uh, sometime down the road. But in the end of the day, in terms of what we do for a living, which is provide housing opportunities for home purchases, uh, demographics are going to prevail. And that's what you need to stay focused on, just the facts. Uh, just the facts. Let's stay focused on reality. So let's start with a few slides. This is from Fortune Magazine, um, a recent article. Lance Lambert, you see the author there. Lance is the data wonk from Fortune. I actually he has a more recent article I'm referencing later in this uh, presentation. But Lance literally is an economics geek uh, and is a regular, is a staff uh, data wonk for Fortune. So the headline of the article is the housing market is slowing but don't mistake it for a crash. And this is a really important lead in. And the reason that he leads off, and I want you to look at my underlying section there, is that the largest tranche of millennials, in particular, those born between 1989 and 1993, are just beginning to hit their early 30s. And that's the peak period for first time home buyer years. Um, and I think this is really important because what I'm going to convey to you guys is, the home purchase boom that we've experienced the last couple of years honestly has nothing to do with COVID and nothing to do with Fed policy driving rates down on the twos. It's completely because coincidentally, when COVID hit, millennials were rolling into their peak first-time homebuyer years. And there's a whole bunch of financial analysts who have written articles literally calling it a coincidence in timing that we had a home purchasing boom on top of COVID helped the economy a lot, but wasn't because of COVID that drove it. And so that said, as, as Lance says, don't mistake this, this softening for a correction. Um, the market is still fairly strong. And he shows his forecast going forward, at not being in the 18% range, uh, but cooling down into the sub 10% range. And by the way, a slowing of home price appreciation is a really good thing for all of us. We need home price appreciation to slow. The 18% year-over-year number that CoreLogic just released yesterday, um, you know, that's terrible. When, when home price appreciation outstrips wages uh, by three or four-fold, 
that's a really bad thing. And they need to get back in line into the single digits, which would be ideal. Um, this is a, a slide from a, a economist. His name is Mark Zandi. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. If you work or live inside the beltway of DC, Mark Zandi is the economist. He's uh, the chief economist for Moody's Analytics, you know, the big ratings agency in New York. Uh, but he's also is the guy that policymakers call on, both on the right and the left side of the aisle. He does presentations to Republicans and Democrats alike and is constantly quoted for his view. Um, this is his view of what's going to happen going forward. Look at the gray zone of this chart. That's kind of where we are now, the end of 2021, moving out into 22, 23, 24. Look, employment is booming back. Um, these are the events that he's expecting to happen. Uh, Fed tapering quantitative easing is an important one. You're going to see that it's already locked in. Um, Fed Chairman Powell said so in testimony a week ago. It's locked in to begin happening in December. Uh, and so that line is there. The Build Back Better line is after that, frankly, and that's the infrastructure package, which um, is going to happen. Whatever the size is, there will be an infrastructure bill, which is highly inflationary on top of all the inflation we have going, but it's great for jobs. Um, so, you know, it'll it'll just create employment. And the blue line is jobs, if I didn't uh, explain that up front. That's, that's employment. And it just shows how quickly we blew back here um, to full employment. And we're actually going to have employment levels uh, predictably higher than where they were even pre-COVID recession. So, this economy is roaring hot on fire, has a lot to do why interest rates on mortgages are not rising uh, quickly like people expected or as quickly. Um, they're, they're expected to continue to rise, particularly with the Fed slowing MBS purchases. Um, but a lot of it is that we are just the hottest economy in, in, on the globe. And uh, so uh, investment capital is coming into treasuries and mortgage-backed securities because it's considered the, the, probably the only or very few AAA currencies that you can invest in right now that are safe uh, looking forward. Um, and you see the inflation everywhere. This is from a presentation a couple of days ago by Macro Policy Invest uh, Perspectives, really big quant, uh, quant geek firm in DC. Um, but look what's, you know, everything's up. Hotel, food services, arts, entertainment, recreation, card spending, general merchandise stores. Uh, sales. It's just booming across every sector. You know it no matter what you're doing, whether you're traveling or trying to buy a car or simply get Christmas presents or holiday gifts. Um, you're seeing what this whole uh, inflationary cycle that's boomed back out of this recession uh, called the pandemic recession and how quick it was has caught us a little empty handed here <clears throat> because <clears throat> we didn't have the workforce retooled and ready to go back to work as quickly as the economy boomed back. Um, you see it also in, in context. This is again from Mark Zandi, that economist from Moody's. Look at the pandemic recovery over previous recoveries. In fact, just look at the 09, uh, actually 08 was the great recession uh, built on bad credit and terrible demographics. That took 42 quarters for the economy to get back to where it was. We've gotten this economy back in 11 quarters. I mean, it's just a wicked blowback. I've never seen in my 40 years, four decades in this business, never seen an economic recovery as fierce uh, and, 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 and quick as, as this one is. And it's going to stay with us for a while. Okay, so bear with me here. This is a forecast from the Mortgage Bankers Association. And there's a lot of data on here, so I got to keep you focused on it. 
It's November 22nd. It's their most recent forecast. Um, don't take the MBA lightly. Their chief economist, Mike Frattantoni, is known among, amongst economists that I talk to as one of the top economists in the nation. In fact, I got a call when I first took over the MBA uh, telling me I had the best economist in the nation. That was from another economist outside the uh, institution. But here's his look going forward. So I want to go start with the red lines. Top red line, single family housing. Um, uh, all in uh, is just going to continue to grow in terms of housing starts, okay? So this is new homes uh, starts entering the phase before they come to market. And the thing I really want you to focus on is look at 2020 at uh, around a million, uh, look going forward to 2022 or 2023, builders are just gonna continue to be building. Um, and then if you look at the next two red lines and look at home sales, uh, existing home sales and new home sales, just a steady increase. And in fact, since existing home sales is the bigger number, look at 2022, that's next year's forecast at 6.4 million home sales, compare it to 2020, last year. I mean, we're getting close to a million more home sales from 2020 to 2022. That's a massive increase, gang. Uh, a million home sales uh, just going since uh, from last year to next year. I mean, that's something that is a really shocking in a positive way number. And new home sales are also going to be steadily increasing. I showed you starts above. That's new home sales. That's completions and occupied, right? And then go down to mortgage originations. Um, this is important because it affects you guys. And I underline purchases because that obviously is a correlation to all the data I've just shown you. Uh, we had about $1.5 trillion in purchase loans last year. Going to do about $1.6 trillion this year, more than last year. Slightly fewer refis, slightly more purchases. Next year, $1.7. Following year, $1.8. Um, just from uh, last year to you know, next year and the year after, uh, we're increasing by about 25 to 30% in terms of overall purchase volume. Now, what's going to really hurt our business is the drop in refi. So if you look above the purchase line that I underlined, you see 4.1, 3.9, 2.5 trillion is the number forecasted for next year off of 3.9 trillion this year. So that, the prediction here is a $1.4 trillion drop in overall mortgage originations in this country. Well, it ain't coming from purchase because that keeps going up. It's coming entirely from refi. And why are refis gonna drop? Because if you look at the line above the mortgage originations where it says interest rates, look at the 30-year fixed rate mortgage just over on the left, focus in over here, and you see rate forecasts where this year ends at about 3%, pretty much on point, right? Next year, we end at around four, following year, four and a half-ish, just, sub, just uh, a little less than that. So why are rates going to rise? Um, amidst all of this and why will homes continue to sell? Well, first let's cover rates. Rates are going to rise because the biggest buyer of mortgage-backed securities in the world is the, is the uh, Federal Reserve. And the Fed just announced under testimony last week, uh, Chairman Powell said they're going to begin tapering. That's definitely going to be hap happening in December. And there's expected to be two rate hikes next year. Um, that's built in and that's, that's based on um, 
consensus perspective by uh, uh, the top economists in this country. So that's rough. That's pretty much baked in. But amidst that, you have all this increase in purchase activity. It crushes refi, helps purchase. So for all you guys, you know, all you all you folks who are loan originators, this is a massive strategy shift, and it is going to shift. I mean, there's no immediate light at the end of the tunnel. The only way rates go back down is if we go back into a recession again, which has no sign of that uh, over the next 24 months, no matter what happens. So um, let's start with the basics. Where are we? One, new home builders. This is from the Federal Reserve of St. Louis. I just pulled this chart down, these charts down a couple of days ago. This is new single family homes for sale in the United States. Um, it's, it's based on hundreds of thousands of units, but new homes for sale uh, is increasing and has been steadily increasing absent the pandemic, which you see that gray line in just after 2020 on the right end of the scale. That's the pandemic, but now we're obviously back on track. And you see it here on the Federal Reserve's uh, research site, which is called FRED again. By the way, it's a great resource for you guys if you don't use FRED. It shows housing supply, this is month, month's supply of housing, has come back off the lows, which was two to three months, lowest in recorded history, which is where we were earlier this year, starting to rise, getting back to a more normalized level, uh, somewhere in the six to seven month range is typically normal, um, but not getting anywhere near great recession levels, but we are gonna recover with inventory. And the, and the first question there is why is inventory increasing. It's increasing for two reasons, but primarily driven by the fact that resellers, existing homes, people who own them missed two spring markets. They missed the 2020 spring market. They missed the 2021 spring market. The nation was masked during both of those markets. We declared a national emergency. President Trump did on March 16th of 2020. Uh, and in 2021, we were masked as well. And they just didn't feel comfortable going out to look at homes uh, or buy homes. This is just the beginning of what's going to happen here. We're going to see a more steady state of supply of resale inventory coming to market, which will help month supply and will help uh, weaken or dampen the ridiculous home price appreciation we've, we've been seeing. But it won't stop demand. So bear with me, but this is really important. The characteristics of the first-time home buyer. I want you to pay attention because the typical first-time home buyer was 33 years old last year, according to NAR. They actually pulled this from census data. So 33 years old, 34 by some surveys, is the peak year for first-time home ownership. Okay? So just hold on to that 33, 34 age bracket. So here, take a look. This is a presentation from the chief economist of Freddie Mac. It takes the entire US population by age, spreads it out from zero to 100, and I underline 33. Why? That's the peak year for first time home buying. So look at 33, kind of just draw your eyes to the top of that 33 line and look to the left. We are just at the beginning of about a decade's worth of cohorts, meaning age. Uh, cohorts that are coming in to that peak first time home buyer year that are bigger or equal to the current 33 cohort. 
and then look to the right. Those are all the cohorts that left us over the last decade. We have been, we've had much worse demographics when the Great Recession hit, which was a little over a decade ago. Uh, those were those purple bars. That was Gen Xers. They were much smaller. We just didn't have housing demand. Now we're in the midst of it. We have this massive quantity of, of potential home buyers coming into their peak first time home buyer year. And it's the biggest wave of home buyers entering their peak home buy, first time home buyer year ever seen in history. Now I'm gonna show you a few other views of this before we're done. Everybody is looking at this. This is the data, it's demographics that's driving why everybody's forecasts are so bullish related to home purchasing. Here's another one. Um, this is from Zillow Economics Research, but again, the headline coming soon, an even bigger wave of potential home buyers. They say the median age of first time home buyers is 34, as I said, 33, 34. So look at the bucket of 33 to 35, that's that yellow line in the middle. Um, look at what's coming at it. Cohorts that are much bigger, and if you go all the way back to the 24 to 26 cohort, that's a decade from now, right? Those guys are 10 years younger than the 33, 34 cohort. That's the peak first time home buyer year. Each of those cohorts is larger. So you've got an ever increasing series of young people coming into their peak years to buy a home. This is why our data wonk at Fortune said it's just coincidence uh, that we had a housing boom during the pandemic. It's coincidence because this is what was driving it, not rates. This is entirely what's driving the incredible demand. And this demand ain't stopping. Uh, and everybody knows it. This economist, Mike Fratt and Tony knows it. And every other economist who writes on it knows it as well. So moving forward, what? let's look at the millennial. What's, what's happening here? Well, I, I showed you they're coming into their peak first-time homebuyer years, and you see it. They're now 60, as of the end of 2020, they were 67% of all first-time homebuyers were millennials. Look to the left. In earlier years, look to when you started in the business, if you started in 08 or 09, they were a minority part of the, uh, of the, of the home buying market. Why? They were too damn young. They were living with their parents or they were renting just getting out of college, maybe in college, uh, they weren't at a place to buy. Now they're two thirds, two thirds of the first time home buyer market. And that's only gonna grow on the years going forward. It's an amazing opportunity. And look at the underline there, just another reinforcement point from a different source. According to Freddie Mac data, the median age of a first time home buyer is what? 33 years old. Gosh, everybody seems to look at data and agree with it because facts do matter. Um, so what about this generation? Are they, are they going to be able to buy? Well, a couple of things that's very interesting about the millennials. One is they earn more than pre previous generations. And this is adjusted uh, to $2,018. So median income uh, um, is adjusted for $2,018. And it's median income for people age 23 to 38, uh, which is the millennial generation adjusted for $2018. Hope you understand what that means economically, uh, but I thought it was just worth uh, pointing that out. The millennials are the dark blue bars. They're earning more than any of the predecessors, particularly baby boomers, was, which was the only generation close to this in size, and they're earning significantly more men, women, and combined. They're also more educated, which by the way, leads to better income outcomes generally, not all the time, but generally. So if you look at educational attainment, 
Look at the millennials. Look at just the green section. Uh, only about a third of millennials have a high school degree or less. The rest have all gone to college, some college or a college or advanced degrees. Look back to the baby boomers on the left side. Over half of baby boomers had high school diplomas or less, um, and a much smaller percentage went to college or had college degrees. Now, that's an interesting thing to think about because baby boomers, um, there are a lot more blue collar workers. We had a much more manufacturing uh, based society. And so a much more unionized workforce, a very different kind of generational shift that's going on that just makes millennials more in tune and more capable potentially to buy a home if they can deal with debt challenges like student loan debt and down payment needs uh, that they'll need to buy a home. But aside from those two factors, which are significant, uh, from a qualification standpoint, in general, they're more able to buy. Another interesting thing about today's borrowers is we're seeing massive changes in terms of diversity. So, um, you know, don't think of the, in terms of the political climate of today that is has so many kind of tensions here. Um, this is an amazing economic opportunity. So this is from the Harvard University Joint Center for Housing Studies. And this is um, household formation. So this, this looks at where is all the household formation coming from and where's it going to come from as we look forward? We're now in 2021. So look at the three bars on the left. We're right in the middle of that uh, 2015 to 2025 decade. And minorities are about two thirds of all household formation. Whites are still important, but minorities lead the way. But look then at the next decade, 2025 to 2035. I mean, it's incredible how minorities, particularly Latinos and Hispanics, are going to lead the growth of this market. And that creates both challenges, but I think incredible opportunity in terms of what's happening in the years ahead. And it's why you see so many folks focused on it, including the regulators, and focused particularly on banks as well as non-banks in terms of how they meet the needs of this changing demographic. So let me round this out to this uh, final few slides. Let's just stay focused on how to go out and talk to your realtor, builder, and other referral partners, because that's what's really important here. What am I going to go tell my realtor partners to help them feel confident? How can I be a valued partner in helping them build their business so that they'll want to work with me? Um, first is home price appreciation is slowing, but it's still forecasted to be extremely strong. This is Zillow's forecast looking out to the end of 22, um, actually a year from now, October 21 to October 22, expecting 13.5% home price appreciation as we look forward. They're on the high side. The lowest home price appreciation number I can find from any economist right now for next year is from Frank Notaf. He's the chief economist at CoreLogic, and he has about a 2% year-over-year appreciation rate. Um, I could take you back to that MBA slide. They have a 4.5% appreciation rate for next year. They're pretty much uh, right in the mean. They're sort of like a uh, base case of where most economists are, are settled. Um, but let me just make one key point. If anybody has a potential buyer sitting on the sidelines because home price appreciation has been out of control and they want to wait things for, for things to stabilize, that is an absolutely ludicrous argument. It's ridiculous, right? Because home prices are going to appreciate. I don't care whether it's 2%, 5%, or 13% like Zillow says, or 18% like Goldman Sachs says. Let's just use 4%. That 4% home today at 400 grand 
means that a year from now, on average across the country, if it's 4% appreciation, that'll cost you $24,000 more and their interest rate will be higher. This idea that you're going to wait for something, if you're qualified and able to buy, uh, is an improper conclusion. It's based on emotion, not on fact, and you can help use data just to drive home that point. The most important aspect here is for all of us to recognize that when we're talking to realtors, and this is from the Federal Reserve Board of Consumer Finances, when we're talking to realtors and realtors are reminding the potential home buyers what's important in life, the only way to build intergenerational wealth is through home ownership. So this is a graph, a chart, looking just from 2010 to 2019, about a decade, and where median family net worth is for renters versus owners. So for renters, who, owned, who rented in 2010, they have a basically the same amount of net worth today that they did back then. For owners that bought a home in 2010, they've increased their wealth by approximately 25%. Um, you know, that's a pretty amazing growth story. And if you're talking about where wealth comes from in America, this is just the beginning. So remember this source I have at the bottom, the Federal Reserve Survey of Consumer Finances, um, from 2019. This is the same survey presented by a different company. Um, and it shows where American household wealth is. Okay. Look at middle income Americans. Where is their wealth? 62% is in their principal residence. So if middle income Americans, that's zero to $471,000 in net worth, which is uh, the majority of America. Their wealth is in their home. 62% of it. Hell, even for upper income, we have a half a million up to $10 million in wealth, um, which takes you up to the edge of ultra rich. They have 30, 26% of their home, of their value of their, of their net worth. 26% is in their home. The value of a home is incredible. Or put one other way, and I just want you to swallow this all in context. This is a report to Congress from November of this year by HUD. This is the FHA reporting to Congress on the strength of the mutual mortgage insurance fund. I wrote an article in Housing Wire about why premiums should be reduced off of this report. But one of their slides is home price appreciation in the US from 2013 to 2021. So all this basically says is if you owned a home in 2013 until today, the average nationwide appreciation rate on that home is 80%, 79.09%. It's massive. Just, even if you want to take out 2020 and 2021 and say those were crazy years, just look at 2013 to 2019, 50% appreciation in a six-year period uh, coming out of a great recession. This is just phenomenal. And this is a report to Congress. Now, why am I showing you all this stuff over and over again? Because data matters and having it be consistent across all sources and all economists who are showing it can override objections. It, it's not made up information. Everybody looks at the same thing and they're all agreeing. In fact, that demographic slide I showed you earlier, I showed you this one on the bottom first. I didn't show you these two. Uh, this is one um, that, that talks about, um, uh, this is national population and estimates from the US Census Bureau, but it looks again at the orange section, uh, looks at the median age for first time home buyers. If you can see it there, it says age 34. 
and then shows from now for the next decade, looking to the left, as these guys age into that year, um, we have incredible demand for home purchase activity. This is a slide from the Public Policy Institute. Um, same data showing broader age range cohorts, but look at the 25 to 29 cohort coming at us. We're the, remember, age 34 is the peak year for first time home buyers, big cohort. Uh, those two combined, that's just men and women. Um, that's the total. Uh, but look down, those are all the cohorts leaving us. They're all smaller. We, that's why we're having such demand right now. But look to the left, the 25 to 29 cohort, I mean 25 year olds, not 34 year olds, go back a decade to where they are, is a massive cohort, bigger than anything that exists in the population. This isn't guesswork. This isn't a matter of God, where are the buyers going to come from? The buyers are coming from demographics. I mean, core basic American ec economics, and everybody knows it. Barron's, this is a recent issue of Barron's uh, from October 29th, actually October, updated October 31, big deal. Millennials will drive home prices for years to come. This is a financial services medium. Uh, I doubt all of you read Barron's every day, um, but people who do, this is what matters to them and they're in the know, like we should be in the know and we should be helping our realtor partners be in the know about what everybody's saying. And I'm gonna leave you with the final two, okay? Home prices will grow 16% by the end of next year, says Goldman Sachs. This is a report uh, from October, goes right after they had done their research. Just look at my red line. Our model now predicts that home prices will grow 16% more from October till the end of 22, says the Goldman Sachs economics team. Now, I wouldn't normally publish, give you this one because it's, on the, it's the highest uh, forecast I've seen, but this is Goldman Sachs economists. I mean, these guys are no slouches, probably the best team of economists or one of them uh, globally, and they're predicting the 16% home price appreciation. What do they know that nobody else knows? Everything we've just gone through. They know demographics, they know housing supply, and they know exactly where this thing's going. Will it be 16%? Who knows? Whether it's 4% or 16%, it's going up. And so if you can buy a home, go out and get it now while rates are still pretty good and do not wait. I mean, it's just going to continue going for, for years forward. And then finally, I'll show you one last story. Uh, this is from Fortune. Actually, it was from that data geek I showed you about earlier. Um, earlier that wrote this story and it was just published about a week or so ago. And I just cut this one point out. It was all about home price forecasts. On the high end of the spectrum or Zillow and Goldman, they project home prices will rise 13.6%. And then it says Goldman forecasts a 16% increase. Um, and then I want you to just go to the very bottom where I highlighted. We're in the midst of the five-year period between 2019 and 2023 in which the five largest millennial birth years between 89 and 93 are hitting the all important first time home buyer year of 30. Now that's fortune. They're a little short. Uh, it's 33 or 34, but who cares? Um, the point is clear. So in the end, I share this with you because if you're, as you're heading into the holiday and you're thinking about how am I going to build my business next year and you're worried about licking your wounds over what refi business you're going to lose, you can build an entire market by being the expert. 
you can provide information to your realtor and other referral partners that most loan officers aren't doing who are out there just quoting rates and terms and telling them about their new jumbo loan or whatever it is. You can talk about stuff that they can use to share with their clients to build their business. And it's clear, the millennial impact is here and it's just begun. It's gonna be the biggest home buying boom uh, decade that we've ever seen in American history. Um, that the early 30s are the peak first-time home buyer years, and we're right on the front doorsteps of that. The good news is the unsustainable appreciation is going to slow as inventories rise. That's a very good thing. But demand is only going to increase as forecasted based on the demographics that we've gone through. So more buyers are going to come back as the market stabilizes, and sellers are going to be much more eager to sell because they've been out of the market for two years. So we have pent up desire to sell and that they now have, you know, 20 ish percent equity just over the last two years or year and a half on a nationwide average that they're going to be more interested in locking in and getting the home of their dreams. So the bottom line is, guys, facts matter. This is an amazing market and it's all a matter of how you decide uh, to, to play this as you think about um, moving forward. So I'll stop there. Hopefully that deck is helpful. Man, I went longer than I wanted to. But we did, do intro, we did intros on the front end. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll say I did a half hour and uh, cross my fingers, that was close. Holly, I know you have some questions and then we had questions in the chat. Um, let's go. Yes, let's go with that. Um, so we had one question that came in about the shortage of appraisers, the lack of quality and the upcharging of customers. It seems that the process that was put in place is not fully working. Um, or have you been part of any high level discussions around that? Well, look, I, I, all I can say is everybody knows that the appraisal problem is real. There is a shortage of uh, licensed appraisals, appraisers. As all you guys know, to get licensed as an appraiser is almost harder than it is to get a law degree, and that just shouldn't be the case. So um, there are solutions being worked on by the GSEs that are automated solutions, and um, I don't want to point you to them now, but Freddie and Fannie are both uh, working with new vendors that have come to market that use incredible uh, machine learning technology um, that can even tell you... What the, what the walls are made out of simply by a photo um, and through geocoding and more can isolate the home. So you know you're getting the right house. It's being measured automatically. Um, data comps are being pulled and you have a lot more ability to get visual inspections without having to have uh, an individual walk through the home. Now, is that today, tomorrow? No, but I know that the GSEs are very close to launching a couple pilots. And so hopefully that's something in the right direction. And I, by the way, I don't want to disparage appraisers. They've been critical to our business for all, as long as we've been in it. I have great friends who are appraisers. You know, if you can get your whole families to get licensed to be appraisers, we, we, we'd uh, solve that problem. But we're going to need uh, new solutions to meet an automated, you know, to automate this business in such a way that appraisers will be used for more complicated transactions where they can do final desk reviews, knowing that the automated part of it is something that they can trust. And I think all of that is in process right now. And I, again, I was literally on a call about this yesterday and I'll be on one tomorrow. It's kind of interesting. I, I, have, I have one that's just, that's my question. It didn't come in, but fair lending is a huge topic 
it will be a, yeah. a huge topic for all lenders next year. What do our broker partners need to focus on as it relates to fair lending? Yeah, so, you know, Holly, the, the good news is, I think for brokers, is you're, the good news is being small keeps you below the radar. So, um, frankly, I think that an action from a regulator, uh, generally speaking against a broker, will be few and far between more likely at the state level than any kind of federal thing, unless there's something that's outrageous and truly intentional redlining done. And that's when you see brokers in the headlines or, and that kind of thing. But that's, that's going to be few and far between. However, gang, the group that you originate loans for, they are under scrutiny. And I don't care who your wholesale partners are, and we could list them all. They're all big and they're all in wholesale. Uh, they're all providing wholesale loans to you as brokers they are going to be under scrutiny. And uh, I know Fairway is taking steps, but everyone is taking steps. You have to. Um, and there are measures in place that are very aggressive, uh, particularly with this new CFPB, but I'm seeing actions coming out of the Federal Reserve. I've seen in a Federal Reserve Board action, a Federal Reserve action against an independent mortgage banker. Uh, that's, that's very recent. Um, and they're coming out of various regulatory agencies. State agencies want to have a CRA-like standard that they operate in their states. Uh, there's going to be a lot of compare ratio kind of looking at uh, lending institutions. And so at the, at the very least, thinking about how you can show intent and efforts to engage in communities that are diverse will probably make you a more interesting client or customer for the wholesale lender you sell loans to. And I would say if you start heading in that direction, frankly, you're helping out the company you're selling, you're originating loans to, and um, they'll be more interested in doing business with you um, in a more focused way, I would guess, as we move forward. It's a really big deal as it, as, as it heads forward. And remember, this is, everything trickles down ultimately. And so you guys are at the, at, the, at the point of sale that really matter here when you think about that. Thank you. Alan, I know you've got a couple. Staying on that. Yeah, staying on that topic, um, you know, the, the low to moderate income borrower, the first time home buyer, um, are, are, do you hear anything? I mean, you painted a pretty good picture for, for what we have to come next year, but do you hear anything out of the administration right now um, that, 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 that leads us to believe that there's going to be more aggressive lending um, or more aggressive pushes? You mentioned the CRA standard on, on the independence. What's your thoughts as we turn the corner and, and, and get into the administration administration's objective on low to moderate income yeah, so, borrower? So Al, it's a good question. If you pull up, I, don't do it. Don't pull it up. If you if you read the Build Back Better bill, you don't want to read it. Hundreds of pages, but I've read it. And and, and in the uh, in the bill, it's going to probably become the final um, text. Whatever the magic ultimate number is, there are you know. 13 or 14 provisions for housing. There's a there's two different first-time homebuyer um, uh, packages. Um, one's a direct um, first-time homebuyer incentive, uh, not a tax credit, um, that is gonna be both in the Senate and House versions. So that's something that's gonna stretch across both sides and it's direct monies. Whether you like that or not, and everybody says, well, we don't have enough inventory, why are we encouraging more first-time homebuyers? And, and with down payment assistance, um, I, I don't want to go into that extensive debate here, but there's a lot of focus on efforts to bring more first-time home buyers to market, and you'll see that. And by the way, the language in these in these legislation initiatives 
and several of them that are, that are in the infrastructure package right now um, are restricted only to first intergenerationally to have owned a home. Now pay attention to that. First time home buyers, first intergenerationally, that's defined as first in two generations, meaning their parents nor their grandparents could have been homeowners. That's huge, right? So what does that tell you that is? In a general sense, from a profile standpoint, that's going to have immigrant characteristics to it, uh, meaning first generation in this country or second generation in this country. Obviously, your parents wouldn't, wouldn't have owned a home here. Uh, and African-Americans who have, there's a lot of interge- lack of intergenerational home ownership and Hispanics. So it's, it is clearly a piece of legislation, two pieces of legislation. There's one um, that started in the Senate that will also be in this bill uh, called LIFT. But both of these are going to be in there and they're going to be targeted towards first intergenerationally to own a home. Now, once it gets rolled out, Fairway, of course, will you know, uh, internalize this quickly and then start uh, figuring out how to distribute this out to the overall marketplace. But these are the kinds of pieces that are focused on. There's a lot more about housing stock. There's, a, there's um, I, don't want, I don't want to quote the number because I think it's going to get adjusted before we're done, but there's billions of dollars to build entry-level housing stock, um, a whole variety of things here. Hey, look, none of this happens overnight. And anytime you hear Congress or Washington, you probably roll your eyes and say it ain't going to happen. But, you know, we did a lot of there were a lot of big bills during the pandemic that actually did happen very quickly. And I think once this happens, we'll start to see funds start rolling out to communities. I mean, look at all the infrastructure work that's being done on highways everywhere you drive and why they're all torn up. That's all federal money that's making that happen. So I think in the end of the day, um, there are efforts there. Definitely not enough. Isn't going to happen quick enough. Um, but again, it's not going to affect your demand pool because we know demographics are just huge. Um, so even if you take 10% off of that, those cohorts and say, well, they won't be able to buy or 20% or whatever it is, they're still just bigger cohorts. doesn't matter. You can't, you can't stop demand. Um, but we, we have a bigger problem about police officers, firefighters, healthcare workers, uh, teachers, you know, people who do critical work in our communities who don't get paid enough and, and having affordable housing for them is a real problem. So that that's more that's going to be in the infrastructure package as you think about it. I was going to, uh, I'm going to you know, carry on with that question, that line of question. Inflation plays into, as, as we look at the data stat you just shared with us, housing yep. prices continue to appreciate. Um, it, it, it makes it less affordable for the first time home buyer. Um, and you know all those different pressures. Where does inflation play into uh, the interest rate projection you you for, or you shared with us? That was MBA's forecast, going from a three yeah, so, percent interest rate right now to around four. So yeah, so the uh, it doesn't change their forecast um, on rates. Um, you know this forecast has been in here for quite a while, and. We've we, we all been waiting for when is the Fed going to act. The Fed has not technically acted yet, although some of that will be priced in. Omicron took a bite out of it. And when uh, Omicron infra- news got released, that was literally over the Thanksgiving break. We were in a very thin series of trading market days. Um, the market overreacted, which we all know because it's come back. Uh, interest rates tanked, um, and some of that's recovered. And, uh, and so those things will cause sort of intraday or intraweek kind of volatility, the trend line is still the same in terms of slightly heading upward. And so going from two and a quarter at the low when the Fed was in uh, deep 
to, uh, to, to fend off any economic impact from the pandemic to the easing it's going to go to to bring rates to fours uh, over time here. That's going to happen. And by the way, that's when we all need to put our history hats on and look at 4% and go, my God, I, if anybody complains about 4%, I'm going to shoot them because <laughs> it's still an amazing interest rate. Um, but the other inflationary a- aspects that are hitting this economy, I will tell you, mark my words, don't argue with me now, just come back and say I was right or wrong next year, these will subside. This is going to be a relatively short-lived uh, event of price, pricing spikes from, from energy and fuel costs uh, to goods and services, uh, to supply ch- uh, chain challenges and more. Um, all of this stuff will subside uh, and we'll start seeing signs of that as we get into mid-year next year. Um, that'll be pretty strong. So I, I don't want to walk into all the what, whys and where's about that, but just do, you know, go to Moody's Analytics website, and there's a whole bunch of research that can walk you through that particular piece. Okay. doesn't help, Al. In the end of the day, higher rates means some portion of that borrower pool will not qualify. That, that's a fact, right? So if you were on the edge at three and rates go to three and a half or four, and you were already at 45 and 680 and whatever else is in self-employed and all that, maybe it wasn't the time for you to buy anyway. I mean, we got to think about better ways to help you get prepared, but, um, and in, cheaper inventory could help, uh, but that's not going to get much cheaper. It's just going to slow the increases. So we are going to have an affordability challenge, which we have been living in for a decade is going to continue for several years to come, but it ain't going to change the demand curve. So that, that's the, that's the real challenge. So that, that is a perfect segue into this question that's in the chat. The concerns with the increased home prices, any updates from the government, the current administration about affordable housing projects from state, county, city, government assistance, grants, incentives, whatever? Yeah, I can't talk about all the state policies that are going on. It depends on what state you live in. And some states are more aggressive here than others. So it would it, be kind of crazy to talk about. I did talk about what's in the Build Back Better plan, and there's a ton in there on housing. Um, if I can find the, the the list of things that are in the Build Back Better plan, there's a simple piece that was put together. I'll send it to, to you guys with the deck uh, or maybe sometime over the next 24 hours so you can feel free to share it with others. But there, there's so much stuff focused on creating affordability, community block development grants coming out of HUD that just that's increased significantly over the previous few years. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of things happening. Is it enough? No, it's just not enough. And will all of you feel it? Unless you participate in the low income space of home buyers, unless you're already doing a lot of down payment assistance loans and those kinds of things, um, it's gonna take some knowledge and learning to figure out how do I understand what resources are being applied to that portion of the market. Well, that's good because that that's several that's several questions or concerns that have popped up is about helping first-time home buyers. Um, let's see if I've got any others really quickly. And I got five minutes. I'm sorry, I have to stop. Oh my goodness! Well, then I don't know if we have anything else. I think you've covered pretty much all of the questions that have come in um, so far. Sarah, do you have anything that you want to add? Nope, I think uh, you answered it, Dave, and we'll make sure you get the slide deck. So we'll get it to Al and Holly, and then they'll pass it on to you guys so you can take it and 
uh, obviously take it to your referral partners, educate them. That's what this is all about. So we're helping you. And Dave, you're, you're amazing. You are. I mean, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing ahead, but blue skies, right? And a lot of sudden, well, you know, I, I don't always say that, but um, I don't want to age you, Sarah, but I'm the biggest cohort of the, I'm the biggest cohort of the baby boom generation. Just let me end on this one point. Um, I'm the biggest cohort of the baby boom generation. I was born in 1957. If you look up the largest cohort of the baby boomers, I'm it. I'm in, uh, I'm, I, that's too. my birthday. <laughs> and, and, uh, right there with you. And I started in the loan business in 1983 at, with a whole bunch of young people like me. And we all started doing mortgages, right? Sarah, there's a, there's a, everybody was in this business and it was the beginning of the real growth of the mortgage banking industry because yeah. the baby boomers drove this business. And if you think about the career that's in front of you, gang, don't just think of the age 34. That's the first time home buyer year. That huge slug of people, they're going to buy move up homes when they have kids. They're going to buy second homes, vacation homes. They're going to get relocated for work. They're going to get married. They're going to get divorced. There's going to be all sorts of life changes. Um, I think I've bought 12 or 13 homes over my life so far. And uh, that's your market. You get yourself embedded with this generation. And you'll be like all these wealthy loan officers that I've known that are in my age bracket who actually retired and moved to vacation areas and just live off of their book. And they, they moved to states not even where they built their business and they're doing, still doing loans to this day because that person calls so-and-so all the time. And once you have that relationship blocked, they want to do business with you. Whether, no, it doesn't matter what company you're with or who you sell your loans to. If you do a good job, they want to do business with you. That's all that really matters. And they'll call you again. So, um, you know, you're, you're at a really unique period. And the only reason you're going to feel pain is that in the mortgage broker industry nationally, you know, it was more than half of loans were refis over the last couple of years. And so half of that business is going to feel some major pain. Um, but your realtors aren't feeling the pain. Your builder clients aren't feeling the pain. People want to buy homes. So all the people are coming in touch with are on the ver are on the front, you know, doorstep of a really amazing market, and you should bring that enthusiasm to them. Don't get wrapped up in the loss of refis. So there you go. There you okay. go. There I you know go. You, I know you need to hop. I just for, this is the last podcast that we have this year. We'll be doing. We'll be starting in January up again. Um, but really wanted to thank all of our broker partners for your loyalty this past year. You've all been asked to make choices, and I'm glad that you you kept your choice. Um, and we appreciate your business that you sent to Fairway, your loyalty and your trust for us to handle your business partners. Um, Al, do you want to wrap us up? Because I know we're out of time. Well, echoing what you said, just like I echoed what you said when we opened, um, our brokers are our lifeline. Uh, and we hope that, and I see some of these comments here, that, that this was a valuable uh, hour for you. Uh, it, it kind of pumped me up for, for 2022. It painted a very optimistic picture. Things are changing, um, but it, it, I think we're all in a pretty good position to go out and, and have plenty to attack, plenty to figure out. How, how do we appeal to that segment that uh, Dave showed us is, is coming, um, and it's going to continue to come for, for years to come. So uh, thanks for your time this afternoon. Again, uh, as Holly just mentioned, we're blessed to have partners like you. Uh, we value the relationships. We value the individual uh, relationships and connections that you make with our teammates. Uh, just, just you know, the lifeline. Um, we appreciate you. Wishing each of you and your your families a happy holidays, and uh, 
we'll get back at it with these podcasts in January. Thanks a lot.